Good morning and welcome to High Point Church Online. Great to be here with you today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Always grateful to be worshiping with you online. This is what we call Last Sunday here at High Point. Uh, so our whole church is gathered online. Some of them are commenting in the chat. Some of you are not. And uh, because I'm wearing this t-shirt today, this is one of my favorite t-shirts, okay? And yeah, when I preach in it, everyone, you know, they, they're hitting me up because they can't read what it actually says. So I'm going to save you today from the agony of leaning into your television, trying to determine what my t-shirt says. It says Mondays at TBD, to be determined. It's one of my favorite t-shirts. And I got it from our Every Nation Church in Tallahassee. Uh, High Point, we're part of a global spiritual family, uh, and one of those churches just happens to be in Tallahassee, some good friends of ours pastor it, and this is me, rocking Mondays at TBD, which is one of their campus ministries. They change the location every Monday, thus TBD. Anyhow, we're getting into it, so now, now you know what I'm wearing, okay? Uh, I want you to think back today, okay? I want you to think back to your very first car. Uh, maybe you're sitting uh, with mom and dad right now. You don't have a car yet. Imagine the car that you would like to have, right, for your first set of wheels. Um, I realize times are different. Uh, when I turned 16 and when my friends turned 16, there was not a second to spare before you got to the DMV and you got your license and you were, you were behind a set of wheels driving because having a car meant freedom. And yes, it meant responsibility, but make no mistake about it. It meant you were free, right? You could go places. You could do things. And my first car was a 1987 Camaro, right? I was one of those crazy kids who had a boss car for their first ride. My dad was a financial planner, and one of his clients had a car sitting in his garage, Right, that he never drove. And he basically was like, hey, do you want, you guys could buy this for pennies on the dollar and you could give it to your son for his 16th birthday. And of course, we're like, yeah, woo! Right, so I had a V8 engine, stick shift, jet black, night black Camaro, right, as my first ride. That is what we affectionately like to call, ladies and gentlemen, a muscle car, okay? And that was Andy's first ride. Responsibility, freedom, license. There's a lot going on in Andy's world at 16, right? I was at my friend's house. Um, <clears throat> I had just gotten my license. Some of you can relate to this. I was at my friend's house, right? Parked in the driveway. Uh, was there was around nine o'clock, and I was dropping something off. And you know, when you when you when it's nine o'clock, you don't really anticipate much you know, action traffic happening behind your car at a friend's house. And so I, you know, left literally the door open, the driver's side door, ran out, dropped what I was dropping off, probably ate a cookie or something at his house, said hi, was with my best friends. And I got back in my car, right, turned it on and just hit reverse because I was there literally like two minutes. Surely no one or anything would have found its way behind my car in such a short amount of time. However, that was wrong. I didn't even look in my rearview mirror. I just put that stick shift in reverse and we went to work. 
right? Boom, 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 and away we went. And if you've ever backed into something hard, I mean, it was the, the, the neck whiplash, like, what on earth? And I get out of the car, and a van was parked behind me. And my friend's mom was a seamstress, and somebody was literally dropping a dress off, right, to get hemmed or whatever it's called, uh, alterations, okay? And I hit this car, and this was before iPhones and before flashlights, and so, you know, it's 9 o'clock, and I got out, and no one was in the van. They were already inside, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, did I do any damage? And I see on the side of the car, the passenger side door is totally caved in. The sliding van door completely doesn't even work anymore. And I thought to myself, there's no possible way that I did this amount of damage from just my little Camaro backing up into this. There's no way. Clearly, they've had an accident prior to this. So in all of my boldness, I go back into the house and I'm like, guys, I accidentally tapped your bumper. And they come out and I can tell from the shock that all of that damage was caused by me literally just backing up into their van. If you know anything about a Camaro, especially an 87, it's basically a block of steel that has been set on four wheels, okay? And I mean, there was like a little bit of paint scratch on my car and devastation to the van, okay? Uh, they went there for alterations and they definitely got one, right? Their van was obliterated and it all happened without me ever even leaving the driveway. And to make matters worse, that was my second driveway accident after getting my license. God bless all the parents and families out there. Love y'all. Sometimes having a 16-year-old with a license, it has some challenges, right? It comes with freedom and it comes with responsibility. And today we are talking about those two things. Right, And, and we're, we're going to take a turn in this moment because we love freedom, but we don't like the responsibility that comes with it. We like having the ability to make choices, right? And we love those choices that seem to benefit us. But man, when it feels like something is required of us, right, that something is being taken from us, well, we don't want that kind of freedom. And we certainly don't want the responsibility that comes with it. And today, as we pursue uh, a greater relationship with Jesus, as we're looking at firm foundations, we started last week a conversation talking about sin, and we're going to continue that conversation today. But it's not the kind of sin that you have inherited. Last week, we, we talked about your spiritual DNA. As in Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and that DNA has been passed down from person to person to person and there's nothing you can do about it. But in our world, especially our culture, where we love to blame shift and we love to you know, not have responsibility and it's easy to look at Adam and Eve and say, oh, well, it's all, their, it's all their problem, right? As if there's nothing that you have to do in this equation or anything that you contribute. Well, today we pick up in round two talking about sin, but we're not talking about it from the standpoint of what you have inherited from Adam and Eve. We're talking about your culpability, your responsibility, the damage that's caused from you choosing to live the life 
that you are living. Throwing that thing in reverse, hitting the gas and causing a great deal of damage. Not just to the people around you, but also to yourself. The reason we're, we're taking this length of time, literally two whole sermons, I know, it's crazy, to talk about sin and its impact on us is because in our world, we don't like to talk about difficult things. We don't like to talk about feeling bad or somehow that there's a measure of responsibility that, that we might have for our choices. I have news for you. You have responsibility because of your choices. We all do. We carry that. And, and when we look at the gospel, if you don't understand the magnitude of the problem, you will not understand the magnificence of the solution. So that last week, I'm going to say it again. If we don't really grasp and understand the magnitude of the problem, and that problem is sin. If we don't talk about it, if we don't wrestle with it, we'll never understand the magnificence of the solution. And the solution being the miracle of Jesus. You've got to have one to have the other. It's the only way it really works for us to really grasp it. So turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're going back to the Garden of Eden. Again, I keep referencing last week. You can, li- you can go and listen or watch online. You can download uh, the podcast app on, on your Android, iPhone device, and listen to the High Point podcast if you want to. Um, we talked a little bit about Adam and Eve last week, and today we're, we're, we're taking it one step further. We're talking about their kids, Cain and Abel. So here we are in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. <clears throat> in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Uh-oh. So Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you just do what's right, Cain, if you just do what's right, will you not be accepted? In other words, won't things just be right? Won't things be healthy? Won't things be moving in the right direction, Cain, if you just do what's right? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Sin is a condition. Sin is a condition that you have inherited from thousands of years prior. Your spiritual heritage, that's bad news for you. And I hate to tell you that, but it's true. Sin is a condition, but making no mistake about it, sin is also a choice. And it doesn't take long. I mean, we see it with Adam and Eve, but we really see things beginning to play out with Cain and Abel. So much so that God literally presents himself to Cain and says, Cain, don't do this. Think about what you're doing. 
If you just do what's right, I'm telling you, as your heavenly father, it's going to be better for you. Sin is outside your door, Cain, and it is knocking. It's crouching. If you are familiar with the, with the creation story, Adam and Eve have been put in the garden and they have been put in charge of ruling over creation. They have a stewardship and they're to work the garden, but literally they also have authority over literally animals. And the, the, the verbiage that's being used here is that of, of, of an animal hiding, ready to pounce. It's like sin is a lion. Sin is, a, is, a, is an animal of prey that's just waiting and crouching. If you've ever seen a cat, right, you know, that kind of does its, its little creepy crouch and it's ready to pounce on you, right? Sometimes playfully, sometimes not, right? That's what sin is like here. If you just do what's right, Cain, make the right choice. So sin is a condition. But it's also... A choice. And a little context for you. We don't know what was going on here. We don't know all the details. We know that Abel's sacrifice to, to God was accepted and Cain's wasn't. And we don't know all the details. We simply don't. We don't know if it was Cain's just janky attitude, you know, or motivation, or just blatant, outright defiance of what God had told him. But we see this in the scriptures when, when God looks at him and says, you'll be accepted if you do what's right. In other words, Cain knew what to do. There, there had been some prior conversation, explanation, measure of instruction regarding sacrifice. And Cain literally was saying to himself or, or to God, either by his attitude or outright deliberate action, literally just saying, listen, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do what you're instructing me. I'm not going to do how it. I'm not going to do how. I'm not going. <laughs> sorry. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Maybe I'm not going to do it when you want me to do it. Or I'm not going to do how you want me to do it. However you, you pick it. There's disobedience in Cain's heart. And it's because of his choices. When we talk about sin. When I talk about it in my home, we talk about parenting and raising our kids. We describe sin a lot of times like this, that it's sin, sin is me wanting to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. And if dad or mom, you know, says, hey, pick up those toys. And you go and you pick up those toys, but you do it with a stank attitude. Guess what? That's not obedience. It's not. You go pick up those toys, but you do it when you want to do it, not when dad told you to do it. And, and you know what it's like when, when the child, you know, is trying to make sure that you know that they're in control. P.S. They're not. But they're going to do it on their timetable. That's their subtle way of showing rebellion of, well, okay, I'll do that when I want to. Guess what? That's not obedience either. And obviously, if your child looks at you and just says, no, <laughs> well, that's what we like to call defiance, right? And all of these things require shaping because it's evidence of sin in our heart. Sin is doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. 
James chapter 1, this is Jesus' brother. You know, he's writing about sin in the New Testament now. So, so we've gone from the garden and, and creation, and now we're arcing all the way post-resurrection. James is, is writing, right, to the church, and he's saying, hey, in, in, in verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after death is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So we see, once again, it's like this, this animal of prey moment. You know, if you've ever seen a line, if you ever watched like National Geographic or Planet Earth, and, you know, sometimes they've got scenes in there where you're like, whoa, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, right? And you're seeing this animal chomp, 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 get their claws and teeth around a gazelle or something. And they're, what are they doing? They're dragging it away, right? Maybe to their cubs or just to... Have a good meal for later, right? So our sin, it's a lot like that. You get drug away, dragged away, but you're not the victim here as if, oh, you're just so, you know, you're an innocent bystander. No. What is it that you're dragged away by? Your own evil desires. Yikes. I don't like that. I don't like to tell you this, but I'm gonna, even as your pastor, as someone leading this church, I have desires that are not right, that are not godly. And there is a choice that must be made to either open the door or to shut it. And this is more or less what God is telling Cain. Like, hey, this thing is right outside your door. Do not open the door to this thing, because if you do, it's going to take you over. It's going to run roughshod over you. Don't open the door. Keep it locked. Walk away. Run away. Do anything. Get away from the door, Cain. Do what's right. But what does Cain do? He opens the door so much so he ignores God and then immediately goes and says, Abel, hey, brother of mine, let's go out to the field. And he murders his own brother, his flesh and blood. In my own life, I know what it's like, right? For, for sin to be crouching at the door. And so do you. You know that feeling of being able to choose in the moment. Do I want to do what's right? Or am I going to open the door and let all this thing in and give full vent to the rage in my heart, the anger in my heart, the lust in my heart, the jealousy, the bitterness, the discouragement, the self-pity, whatever it might be. Sin is a choice. It is a choice. And we are responsible for it. Make no mistake about it. Sin is choosing your way over God's way. My way, like Cain, God, thanks, but no thanks. I didn't, I didn't ask for your advice, God. I, I'm tired of feeling conviction here. And we 
kind of stiff arm the Holy Spirit or we stiff arm what the word of God says or we stiff arm what we, you know, the godly advice that we know is coming from from a, a good source, a friend, a parent, you know, a, a youth pastor, et cetera, et cetera. No, thanks. My way is better than your way. That's what sin is. Or another way to say it, this just is the most blunt way to say it, is that sin is defiance towards God. And it is rejecting what you know is right. And we all do it. We all make the choice. And we are all responsible for it. Oh, sin is a condition. A condition that you didn't ask for. But it is also a choice that you willfully make. Some of you are familiar with Shrek. Not the cartoon Shrek, okay? Although wonderful as well. <laughs> but some of you might be familiar with the story of Shrek the Sheep, okay? Not the ogre, right, from the DreamWorks cartoon, but Shrek the Sheep, right? He, he's a sheep that became famous because of how humongous he became regarding the wool right on his body. He was literally six or seven times the size of a normal sheep. And his, his, his wool, when it was shaved, was over 60 pounds. And they were able to make 20 suits from this sheep's wool. And when they found him, you can see the picture as we put it up. Look at this gigantic sheep. He's gargantuous, okay? How did he get this way? Because when you read the articles about it, he had there was a shepherd tending this, you know, the, the flock of sheep. But this particular sheep, Shrek, would hide from his shepherd. He did not want to be sheared. And so he found caves. And literally for six years, he was able to avoid getting his wool shaved. He hid in caves. He hid, he hid, he hid. Clearly, he didn't hide in plain sight, right? I mean, a plane could have seen this sheep. He's so big, right? But he hid from his shepherd. He did everything he could. And, and I mean, just an ornery, ornery sheep, right? And he avoided and was able to successfully avoid being sheared. And I, I think I'm using the proper verbiage for that. Sheared, shored, sheared. Sheared it is, is what we're going to stick with today, Okay. Having his wool sheared, shaved. And it's, an, it's, it's a great picture of what we do, isn't it? It's a great picture of what happens as we carry sin. Imagine the weight. An extra 60 pounds of wool that this sheep is carrying. And is this not what, what sin does to us? Right? It's our choices. We choose to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And then when God's presence comes, you know, to literally help us in the midst of our sin. Hey, look, don't open the door. Sin's crouching. But instead of listening to God and letting God move in our lives and help us and shape us and make us new, we hide from God. 
We see Adam and Eve literally doing the exact same thing. What does Cain do? We don't see him purposefully hiding in the sense of like hiding, you know, in the trees like Adam and Eve do, but he hides from God. He rejects God. He turns away from God and he goes out in the field with Abel as if God isn't going to know or see what's happening. But we do the exact same thing. We hide from God or we think that we've got this kind of hidden from him and we we hide in our caves. And the weight of sin is crushing. And yet this is what we do. Why do we do this? In one breath, you can be worshiping God or you can be thankful for God, and literally, in the next few minutes, you can just have the most horrific thought popping through your mind. Or maybe not even a thought. Let's take it a step further. You, All of a sudden, you're jealous, and you're just giving full vent to it. How did these tensions exist? And more importantly, what on earth do we do about it? Because to not address the sin in our hearts is like backing up into the minivan, like I mentioned in the very beginning, and somehow thinking that this thing hasn't caused any damage. But sin does. Sin produces death. In fact, this is what God says to or James even mentions it, and I already read it. What does it happen? When sin, it gives your evil desire, it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Yikes. So what do we do? What do we do when sin is knocking at our door? Your door. What do you do when you have that moment and you you know you're at the crossroads, that thing that's just bothered you, and you can feel the tension of letting this thing take your whole day, or you can shut the door on it. I'm going to let this ruin my day, and I'm just going to be sour over it, and I'm going to wallow in self-pity. Or or you you have the tension of, of, of knowing that your eyes shouldn't be looking at what they're looking at. You feel the, the knocking, don't do this, don't go down this road. Your eyes are meant for one person, and that's your spouse. Don't look at that, don't open that door, walk away. Sin is crouching, sin is knocking, don't open it. Or the, the, the argument, and you, can, you know it's time to be done you feel the, the, the Holy Spirit. You feel God's presence saying, be done. Put the, you know, zip it. Don't say anything more, but you have to have the final word, the final say. You've got to get the last dig in. Don't open the door. Keep it shut. What do we do in these moments? Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this tension. Paul is is an apostle. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Has a radical story of conversion. right? And is considered one of the most prolific church planners and apostles in the history of the world. And this is what he writes in the Bible. He says, I don't understand what I do. I feel that way sometimes. 
And the truth is, so do you. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. This guy sounds like he's lost his mind. And it is exactly how many of us feel. In fact, all of us feel this way at times. If I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. Meaning God's instruction, his commandments. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. I can't seem to get this done right. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love God. I worship God. I want to do what's right. But I see another law at work inside me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Exclamation point. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul is, is describing perfectly the agony and tension that many of us feel. Sin isn't just a condition, it's also a choice. Sin isn't just a choice, it's also a condition. And we have these two things that work inside of us. I want to do what's right and I want to do what's good, but, 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 ah! Every time I try, it's like I get a little bit out there. I, I start obeying. I start doing what's right. And then it takes me about four seconds. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking something that I don't want to think. I'm saying something I don't want to say. I'm living a certain way I don't want to live. God, what is wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? You're in good company. Because one of the greatest, most used men on the planet by God felt the exact same way. What a wretched state that I find myself in. I love God or I want to love God and I want to do what's right, but I just can't seem to really get the job done. What on earth am I going to do? Who is going to save me from this condition? Who's going to save me from my choices? Who's going to save me from my evil desires? Who's going to save me from opening the door time and time again to sin that's crouching and waiting for me? I need a miracle. I need something beyond myself, beyond my strength. I need something beyond my energy, beyond my willpower. I need something godly. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God. What is it that God did? He sent his son, Jesus. And in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our defiance, 
in the midst of our condition, in the midst of our choices, in the midst of our hiding, might I add, God sent Jesus, the good shepherd, to rescue us from our great plight. What a wretched man am I? What, who will save me? Who will save me from this state that I find myself in? Let me tell you who will save you. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is the son of the living God. And he does not work in the same strength that you and I work in. He does not operate with the same power that you and I work in. He does not operate in the same level, in the same conditions, in the same anything. Oh yes, he is fully man, but he is also fully God. And he can do what you and I cannot do. And he did what you and I were unable to do. And now he is our good shepherd. And in the same way that the shepherd finally found the lost sheep who was hiding in the caves... And helped shave his wool, the weight of his, of his rebellion against his shepherd. Our shepherd does the same thing. He goes after those who are lost. Those who are defiant. Those who are rebellious. Those who are sick and who are in need of a doctor. Our great physician and our good shepherd has something that you and I desperately need. And that is salvation. For those who would simply put their faith in him and believe. That's who we serve. That's who we honor. That is who we worship. It's worth noting that 60 pounds of extra wool and six years of hiding was eliminated in 28 minutes of Shrek the sheep. More or less the snap of a finger. And he was made right. And in the same way, our great physician, our Good shepherd, our savior, our Messiah, he does no less. In fact, he does far greater. He makes you as white as snow. And he removes our sin and he removes our condition, our nature, and he gives us something new. And he takes our sin and he throws it as far as the east is. From the West, the Bible says. You're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come. But know this. You have a good shepherd. You have a savior. And his name is Jesus. Romans 8, 1 through 2. This is literally the next verse. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus... The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're free. That's what Jesus does. He removes your sin and he sets you free. Father, we thank you in this moment for who you are and what you do. God, we recognize the condition that we are in. Lord, that we have inherited from God, our, our spiritual DNA that we inherited from Adam and Eve and those coming behind us. Lord, but we also recognize that, Lord, we willfully choose defiance. We willfully choose what we want, when we want, how we want. And Lord, we're asking now that you would help us. We thank you, Jesus, that you 
are the good shepherd and that you, you literally set us free. You took the punishment, the consequence for our sin before a perfect heavenly father. You took that. You took it upon yourself. You removed it from us. And you set us free. Who, what, what wretched people we are, who will save us from the place that we find ourselves in? Lord, it is you. It's your son, Jesus, and we are forever thankful today. We choose to put our faith in you, whether it's our very first time today. We say, Jesus, we need you. God, or whether, it's, whether we find ourselves in this place and we've been here a hundred times, Jesus, we need you again. We always need you. We invite you into our lives today. Have your way. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here today in message two of a firm foundation. Next week, you're going to hear more about Jesus. You're going to hear from the one and only Amy King. And after that, you're going to hear from the one and only Gerald Stafford. As we continue to drive home what it means to know Jesus and have a firm foundation. See you next week.